What a, a podcast? What's it about? <coughs> uh, pacing in Terranigma, Chapter One, tonight on the Kanye Podcast. Hello and welcome everybody to the Commune Podcast. Uh, this week we're talking about Chapter 1 from Terranigma. Before we get, get in on Terranigma though, I wanted to introduce someone who's going to be playing along with us these next two months. Adrian, please uh, introduce yourself. Yeah, my name's Adrian. Uh, Alright. What? I, you know, I don't know how to ask people to introduce themselves. Um, That's alright. It doesn't help that you said their name before they could. Yeah, that's... I, I realized that mid-sentence. Uh, Adrian, how have you been doing? Uh, I've been doing fine. I've been playing Terranigma, but also um, I got Tomb Raiders from Gamefly, so... Oh. It's... I haven't... You know what that? It's not good? Uh, No, it's that I barely started it. Oh. I didn't get far. I was just hanging on a rope in the ceiling, and then I had to stop playing. So you're playing the reboot? Yeah, the weird reboot one that looks a lot like Uncharted. Uh-huh. Um, so that was it? Terranigma and Tomb Raider, pretty much? Yeah. Well, of course, I'm I'm also playing Link to the Past, but I'm still on Ganon's Tower. Oh, that's the last dungeon of the Light World? Or, oh wait, is that the last dungeon in the game? Yeah. Okay, that's, I mean, whatever. I've never... <laughs> what do you think of Ganon's Tower? Now you caught me with a question that I don't know how to answer. <laughs> that's the one with, it's just a bunch of enemies, right? Actually, no. No, there. it's not just a bunch of enemies. Because there was one section I remember had me stuck on for a while that I didn't realize you're supposed to use a fire rod to shoot it over a gap to light up like an invisible passageway. Because the whole time I thought you were supposed to use the enemies as landmarks to know where to step on. But it turns out you can actually light it up if you light the torch on the other side. I do remember that part and actually having that same issue. Can't you also use oh, yeah. the Quake Medallion for that? Or are those you... different kind of platforms? I don't know. Why? Like it, it shows up really briefly when you use the Quake Medallion. Oh. Hmm. I haven't actually tried that. Yeah. Oh, also, um, keep <laughs> freaking wall masters. Oh yeah. What game was I? Oh yeah, Terra Enigma has a few wall masters in it. Uh, one of them in the first friggin' chapter. Yeah, I've only gotten caught by them once, but it wasn't that big a deal because most of these beginning towers are pretty short, anyways. Yeah. All right. Glad to hear. Wario fan, how have you been doing? I've been uh, doing fine. And what have you, what's what games have been occupying your attention lately? Oh, uh, I've been playing uh, Ape Escape Two. That's the second PlayStation one. No, that this uh, it's the first one for PlayStation Two. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's uh really really good. I've heard really really good things about it. Yeah, yeah, it's all all well deserved. Absolutely. I I played the first one on PlayStation a couple months ago. Uh, and it was, it, it had me hooked, you know, I was, 
really sold on this whole dual shock thing, you know? I, I think it's going <laughs> to go a long way. Dual shock too. <laughs> That's like four shocks. And uh, the other thing about Ape Escape 2 that I really like is that uh, this was just an added bonus for me, but the, the main character, his voice actor is the original dub voice actor for Ash. Uh, then the main girl character is the original voice actor character for Misty. And it's like, I'm watching an episode of Pokemon here on my PlayStation 2. <laughs> That's the, take, the game, takeaway. Yeah, and the game's about catching them all anyway, so, you know, it all fits. Her name is Veronica Taylor, isn't it? Yeah. All right. What is the gameplay, though? I've never gotten a great sense of it. I just, I see people running around with nets catching monkeys. Oh, yeah, well, it's like, uh, you have uh, the one joystick that moves the character. And the other joystick that moves the net or whatever gadget you happen to be equipping. Like, uh, if you have the net, then the right stick will, like, uh, if you move it down, that's you moving the net down to catch it. That's, that's how it works. It's like a, uh, Wii remote. Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. And then, uh, uh, you can equip different gadgets, like a little helicopter thing or a boomerang, and it all responds differently to, uh, to what way you move the, uh, the right stick. Okay. And it's all, uh, it's pretty cool. You're, you're catching apes and, and, um, the thing is there's, there's more apes in every level than you need to catch. You're only, you're forced to catch the minimum requirement at first and then you can go back and, uh, catch the rest. And then there's, you know, a whole slew of, uh, I, I don't know what you call it, uh, bonus information like, uh, you know, they, they have a goofy little profiles for all the apes or they have goofy little, uh, uh, stories on the side and comics that you can unlock and stuff, and it's and there's some mini games too. It's all just the, the pretty content filled. Okay, Shouty, have you been doing? Uh, I've been doing pretty well. Have you been playing any video games? Yes, I've been playing Super Smash Brothers for Wii U and 3DS. But but that's not even out yet. Oh yeah, but I live in a very convenient <laughs> place uh, on you know. You live in Nintendo World. Yes. I did the impossible. <laughs> but yeah, every day I, from uh, Wednesday to uh, from Wednesday to today, uh, Nintendo World has been allowing people to come and play the games, play the demos. And um, I mean, it's Super Smash Brothers. It, it plays like the other ones, but it's still pretty fun. And I got to try out the new mode on the 3DS, which is Smash Run. Uh, and it plays like Kirby's Air Ride, uh, City Trial, where you had to collect, um, like these permanent power-ups that improve your character's stats. And then after, for, for like five minutes in a huge map, and then afterwards you fight against other fighters in, you know, like a battle royale. Yeah, that was in one of the trailers. Mm-hmm. That mode sounded really cool. Yeah, it is. I'm kind of secretly hoping that Pac-Man's final smash will be uh, the, you know, flying around cape mode from Pac-Man 2. Oh, no, actually, I'm pretty sure Pac-Man's final smash has been confirmed. It's, um, it's he becomes a giant, he, he eats, I think he eats a power pellet, and then he becomes giant, a giant, like, 2D Pac-Man He does the cutscene between stages. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Or, or, like, Super Pac-Man, he becomes large in that. Oh, I've never played Super. Yeah, it's the proper sequel. 
Okay. He no, turns Pac-Man into the Pac-Man from the cartoon series. He turns into what? He turns into the Pac-Man from the cartoon series. They got the original 80s voice actor and everything. Yeah, Are you he sure he's alive? And he says chomp every other word in his <laughs> sentences. You know that Mario's voice actor from that, that Saturday Supercade segment isn't alive. What? You know, because he's Optimus Prime. Oh. <laughs> he was Optimus Prime? Yeah, yeah, Mario in the Donkey Kong Saturday Supercade is, Opti- is Optimus Prime. Adrian, we spend a lot of time watching really dumb cartoons. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> <laughs> what a solemn confession. This time, I wanted to get some good notes on pacing, uh, specifically in regards to Chapter 1 of Terranigma. Unfortunately, I didn't know what to ask, and improvising didn't work well. The problem is that pacing can refer to many different things, and a discussion on pacing needs more focus than what you'll hear here. That said, you're about to get some worthwhile observations from WarioFan63, Shouty, and especially newcomer Adrian. The discussion may lack focus, but I don't think it's without merit. This week, uh, I wanted to tackle just generic pacing in Terranigma. So in February, I think it was, we played Counterfeit Monkey, which was a matter of pacing puzzles, the area in which a puzzle took place, and how many puzzles you needed to solve before you could move on to the next one, stuff like that. And then we played Shinoketsu Koha the next month. And that was about pacing fights. You know, how how much health a particular bad guy had, how many bad guys you faced at once. And since then, we've just been kind of going back and forth on puzzles and action. Terranigma is this interesting case uh, as, as an action RPG is where you get a huge smattering of variety and pacing where not only do you have story, not only do you have combat, but you also have puzzles. And I guess, you know, mazes are implicitly puzzles as like spatial puzzles, right? Do we agree that pacing... Uh, that like narrative pacing, not in the context of video games, is the in- rate at which information is conveyed to the audience. Yeah, that sounds yeah, that sounds pretty right. solid. And so, matters of pacing can involve like uh, the variety of information, where you get different plot events or different details, and so we can pay well. We can observe pacing in video games in similar ways, except instead of information, it's, uh, I guess, the currency of video games is interactions. And so we pace, we can observe pacing in video games by the variety of interactions where uh, Terranigma has different puzzles that we can interact with, different enemies we can interact with, and uh, different story elements, which are interaction on just kind of a weirdo different level from gameplay that have this sort of meta consideration 
sometimes which impacts puzzles, sometimes which impacts combat. Uh, most of the time is just there because Quintet is trying to be profound. Did anyone else want to just add anything regarding pacing, or did we feel comfortable with that like general notion of what pacing is? Yeah. Um, Could you repeat it real quickly? If narrative pacing is the rate at which a story conveys information of different types, then uh, video game pacing would be the rate at which interactions and the variety of interactions are experienced in a video game. Okay, that sounds good. And Adrian? Uh, I was going to say, um, I might want to make it a bit general to sort of, you know, include story segments or even just non-gameplay elements like like loading screens. But um, I would have said something like the order in which content is presented in the game. Yeah, it sounded fine. I think it's something we all have an intuitive sense of, and I just wanted just to speak to something to go by. I don't think it's important that we have like a rock-solid definition to go by. All right. <clears throat> so, Adrian, I was also wondering, which just to start off discussing pacing, uh, which tower was your favorite in the first chapter? That's hard to say, actually. Because uh, like, even though I breezed through all five of them, there wasn't one that was so distinct that stood out to me that I thought was my favorite. And really, the fifth tower wasn't was mainly just for the boss, so it's really the first four towers that I would look to, but off the top of my head, I can't really say. They all seemed about even to me. Okay. That was a little weird that the fifth boss tower seemed like it was going for like a massive sequence of battles, and then it just turned out it was like three rooms you could dash through. It was really just making your way up and through really small rooms, and they had, like, two enemies in each one. And then, of course, there's that fake-out they have where they make you go out the window, fall all the way <laughs> down, and then you go back up it again. <laughs> yeah, I fell for that. <laughs> Literally. Oh, <it's... laughs> I I think everyone who plays the game falls for that. I didn't. Or at least not at first. So what effect do you think that window trick had on the pacing of the dungeon? Not really much of any, but it does tell me that um, later in the game, probably want to be, be careful of falling out of the tower to a lower level you don't want to be. I think what it does is it it, it, it uh, makes the player aware of where the next... Uh, where the exit of a room might be. It might not be as obvious as... Since it seems. Yeah. Since you have the big open window and then the doors down at the bottom right kind of out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah, you also said it didn't have much influence on the pacing because... It wasn't too hard to just get right back to where you left off. Yeah. So, if the tower had been more serious about its pre-boss combat... Do you think the window would have a negative or a positive impact on the pacing of that tower? Well, uh, just two things. One, it's kind of a question like this that the pacing, like, I'm not really sure because it seems like any sort of punishment, be it hard or soft, in which you go back in progression 
I don't know, pacing doesn't seem like the, the right word. But, anyways, would have it affected it negatively? Um, I don't know, because right now I'm kind of thinking of other games where that would be the case. So, you know what? It kind of depends. I don't know. I think the question is a bit too hypothetical for me, because I, I can't imagine what it would have looked like with more pre-boss stuff, so... Okay, that's fair. I guess uh, I just want to add that, like, the way in which it impacts pacing, falling out of the window, that is, is that uh, if it's the rate at which content is presented to the player, then... Uh, or the rate and order in which content is presented to the player, then falling out the window means you go back and uh, review some content you've already been through and not because of any combat-oriented failure, which is typically why you have to review old content. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's why I think it's more of a a sort of an introduction to what they're going to do later in the game, to where you want to pay more attention to stuff like that, where it it may not be a failure of combat, but a failure of observation. And I'm pretty sure Metroid did the same thing to me as well. So as far as pacing goes... It would still be fine, obviously, because this is the first time you're doing it in the game. It's not going to be as hard as a punishment. But later, it would make more sense because, well, you already know about it. You should already know about it, and you should be looking out for it. I guess implicit in that is that uh, pacing in games often means that there's some kind of learning curve where uh, in order to pace a game properly, you put all the easy content up front so that the player gets a taste for what the themes of the content are without having to uh, completely master them. Yeah. Or if you're going to put in something that the player is 99% of the time expected to fail, uh, don't make it too punishing. All right. Wario fan, which tower was your favorite? This this might be odd to say, but I thought uh, Tower 4. But that's that's only because, I mean... As I was playing it, it was such a frustrating experience because I kept falling down the holes. I kept getting sucked by those ghostly guys, which resetted you back to the dungeon. And I just, I was like, "This is this is dumb. This is a dumb tower. I I hate this. Who built this? God? Satan? One of those guys?" Um, but then, then it come. <laughs> then you get to the final floor, and it ends up with. Uh, having to play Reverse Snake, and I thought that was just amazing. Oh, that, yeah, that was a good one. Because <laughs> you, you're just so frustrated going up to the tower, then you get to the end, and it's just this hilarious thing, and it's like, oh, that I forgive you, Tower 4. <laughs> Did we like the dancing troupe? <laughs> mm, I didn't really care for it. Yeah, I, I have to admit I'm in the shouty camp. <laughs> I, I don't I'm just... This concept that this ancient guardian was here for eons, waiting for you to unveil his reverse snake game. I'm sure he was very bored, and that's why he did this. <laughs> My tower is nothing but pitfalls. I better make it interesting. <laughs> here you go. You win America. <laughs> was that in America? Yeah, that was in America. And, and one of them. 
and no, no. America. So how would you how would you say Tower Four was paced? Awful. <laughs> I don't know. I had to re- play through the darn thing like five times just to get to the top, but I don't know. I I I think it's kind of a maybe a little too punishing for something that was in the chapter one sort of deal, you know. You know, and then I, I, there's a couple dead ends and whatnot. Gosh, you know, I I I spent so much time trying to figure out how to avoid getting vacuum back to the start in this one path I took and then it ended up being a dead end with a couple of treasures and I'm like gosh darn it I didn't know there was another path around this place uh, so you go back all the way to the beginning get uh, fall down a bit more fall down a different hole and then oh now you can climb the tower just don't get, fall off the holes here or else you're starting over again yes that is the magnificent secret of tower 4 that so the first room you have to go down a floor and from there uh, you have four paths further downward. Right. Um, three of them will take you to a dead end, no matter what you do. And one of them will take you to the path forward, except that on that path forward, uh, there is one hole that if you happen to just like decide to explore, takes you back to the dead end path. So that then you have to reset the dungeon so you can start going on the right path again. So there are three different ways to hit the dead end path and only one way that threads through them to the final floor. So that dungeon was kind of paced without any midpoints or like ways to save your progress so that once you got caught by a gardener, you had to do everything all over again. Yeah. uh, Getting the right path meant doing the right thing exactly from the get go. Right. I, I, you know, I kind of feel bad answering this tower for my favorite tower, but you know, I, I got to admit, I like that that final floor. So, <laughs> I didn't either. I got really lucky, or I did not have nearly as much trouble with this tower as you guys, especially not with the gardener enemies. Um, I mean, like I said, I've only been caught by those guys like once uh, throughout my playthrough of the first chapter. It is worth noting that. Uh, there is a sleepless seal in chap, not chap, in tower three. If you equip it, you can't get put to sleep. Oh yeah, I found one of those things. Uh, I didn't actually use it. Yeah, it's like a permanent accessory, not like a thing you use. Oh jeez, I gotta go back and get that. So Adrian, did you have trouble finding the path forward in tower four? Um, I'm looking back at my recording just now, and it- that dungeon apparently took me only about 15, 17 minutes. So, I mean, I did have to go through those holes a few times, but I eventually, you know, got the right one and ended up exactly where I needed to be in order to fight the boss. Yeah, so... so, Make note of what holes you go through. You're you're pretty much fine. Yeah. So, for the most part, no matter where you... In any other floor, no matter where you fall, you'll always be dropped in the same area. It's just that one room where there are four different holes that you have to drop into the right one. And when I got curious about that, I went, I fell into the bottom right hole, and that was the one that led me to the correct path. Yeah. So yeah, Tower 4 uh, wasn't too bad for me. Tower 4 also has an interesting element of pacing in that it starts out with, uh, like, a... I guess a mini-boss encounter, uh, where you face the three cadets, right? Right. 
so that has a like a neat bookended pacing where it begins and ends with kind of a satisfying just like total combat scenarios where you don't have to worry about doing anything you can just sort of run around and poke your spear at stuff and then you win eventually but the middle is this really intense part of having to sort out holes and mazes and etc so it begins and ends with a relief and the middle part is sort of a grind to get through i guess depending on how studious you are yeah i'm actually looking back at the footage now and it turns out there actually is a way to suss out which hole you need to fall through in the hole in the top right, you can actually see there's um, a green panel outlining, you know, where the drop is. So it, if you go through that room the first time, you'll notice there is a higher ledge on the bottom right that you can't reach to by any means other than falling through the floor in the floor right above. Yes, that is also how I noticed. Because I just took the top left one first, the top left hole. And when I made it over to the right there's this strange panel outlined and it's that is the only time you see that weirdo outlining in the floor in that not in that dungeon in like the entire first chapter i think they don't usually put decorative stuff on the floor so that just really stood out to me i'm wondering if there are any notes to make about pacing within the maze based on what's been said so far I don't know, it seems like we're just talking level design. Yeah, it's always hard to have these talks and then point them in the right direction. Shouty, which tower is your favorite? Um, I'm going to go with Wario Fantasy Tower 4. But I think I liked it for the opposite reasons he did. Because and, you hate the troop? Yeah, I hate the troop, but I love the the falling in the, um, the different holes. And, so would you... What? So would you say that maze part was well-paced? Yes, um, in fact, I think it works because even if you do fall in the wrong holes, there are alternate paths where you can find other items. In fact, I think you do actually have to fall in one of the incorrect holes that doesn't lead to the top of the tower to get the uh, the crystal thread. Oh, that's not true. That's the true. crystal thread is on the third floor. You pass it in an alcove on your way over to the ropes that get you to the dancing troop. Oh. Well, okay, there is still one floor that you can get by not going up to the top floor. And going there will get you some items and a, a, a magic rock. Yeah. So I think it still works in terms of pacing. So pacing being the rate at which content is shown to the player. If the player takes a wrong move, the pacing is going to slow down no matter what, because they're going to have to go back and resort out the maze. But in Tower 4, if the player does the wrong thing, not only are they going to have to resort out the maze, but that also opens up uh, an alternate path with items that they can find. Yeah. Those extra paths complement the nature of pacing to already extend when you fail. Mm-hmm. Only instead of extending just by having to repeat content, it also extends by giving you help and stuff. Yeah. So like the like, helpful items. So it's like if you're having trouble with it, you might be running low on health. Even if you are regenerating health from your crystal spear, uh, you, you could still be having trouble. And if you find those bulbs, it'll still keep, keep you up with the pace. 
Okay. I actually had to use one of those bulbs in the fight with the Shadow Keeper, so... Yeah, I think everyone did. Yeah, the regenerating health isn't... It doesn't break the game or anything like that. Mm-hmm. What uh, what level were you for the Shadow Keeper? I think I was level six. Why was that? Was that too? Was that high level or low level? That was the level I was. I honestly had no idea either. Okay. Um, I'm able to kill him without dying or using any items, but also, uh, I've been through the first chapter like three times now. Ah, okay. Yeah, um, I feel like I could probably do him without taking damage either. Uh, partly because I forgot you could freaking block in this game. Oh! And, yeah. And also because um, I can do that dash attack pretty quick in pretty quick succession, so I can like really pound on him without remorse. Let's see. Wario Fana was wondering which tower took you the least time to complete. Tower 1. You didn't get stuck on anything in Tower 1? No, I uh, I don't think I did. I don't think I got stuck in Tower 1 or Tower 2 too much. Oh, man. So how did you find out about the window? You know, I don't... Uh, I, I think I just happened to notice it looked different compared to the other window sprites down there. I wasn't even... Thinking, oh gosh, there's a dead end, what do I do? I just happened to notice the broken window wall on the floor, and then when I saw there was the dead end, I was like, oh wait, maybe that window. And then, whoop. Oh. Yeah. So that's one where the puzzle only had a very slight influence on, on the pacing of the dungeon. Where you were pretty much able to pick up the instant that you would recognize you were stuck. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I don't know if it was, you know, like a a latent memory from uh, having played the game years ago or just casual observance. Okay. Yeah. That's honestly one where I get stuck every time I play the game. Really? Because uh, that window just, it's, uh, I mean, it's literally thinking outside the box. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they, they, they kind of like throwing all these challenges at you right off the bat, don't they? Tower 1 tries to be like a summary of all the gameplay variety that is going to come up in Chapter 5. You mean Tower 5? I mean Chapter 1. Oh. <laughs> chapter 5 oh. is my fan game. <laughs> this um, is my Terranigma fan sequel. I call it Turanigma. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, Shadow of the Colossus? <laughs> what? That's a joke for people who speak Japanese. Oh. Um, oh, I get it. <laughs> well, I mean, it, I, I get it, but, you know, I get it. <laughs> All right. Shouty, which tower took you the least time to complete? The least time? Uh, probably cha- uh, Tower 1 as well. Oh, man. There's nothing... <clears throat> I mean, the part about the window is that I think just from past experience, I, I know that, hey, I, there's a window in a wall. I can go outside of it. I see you naturally just go through windows. Yeah. Okay, who needs doors? So what about Tower 3, then? Do you remember Tower 3? What about it? You would, um... Is that the one where you had to push the blocks, or is that Tower 2? No, it's Tower 2. Tower 3 is the one where... 
The only puzzle is creating that bridge, and it's like the easiest oh, puzzle oh, in the universe. Did creating the is that the one where you had to push the buttons? Yeah, and the blocks move up and down. Yeah. Oh, oh, that. Yeah, that was. Oh man, I didn't remember it until you reminded me. But man, now I think I might want to change my answer for what my favorite tower is. <laughs> Cause I kind of like those puzzles where you have to create the bridge, and knowing that only you don't have to move one of the blocks. Do you think that puzzle says anything interesting about pacing? I think it might slow down the pacing because it's kind of a more cerebral puzzle. Because and you also have to line up the blocks pretty precisely. Like you kind of have to be pixel perfect. Yeah, the timing challenge is strict-ish, at least. Compared to the other puzzles, I'm not sure about combat. I think combat would be stricter. I guess I would have said it's a relatively quick pace because uh, that puzzle takes place in a pretty small place. You hit the switch, you see the block right over there. You don't need to do any moving. So I think, in my personal experience, it kept the pacing uh, quick and punchy because when you keep space confined like that, that means I don't have to do any moving to sort out the puzzle. Oh, okay, so you thought all the buttons were right there, and you didn't have to move around that much to do it. Yeah. Okay. And I guess implicit in that, you know, is a common sense observation that the amount of space you give uh, relates to how much time something can take. Oh. Or at least influences it. Yeah. You know, it's not the only factor. But I still think it might be the longest puzzle out of any of the towers. Just because of the timing ta challenge? Yeah. Okay. It is worth noting also that the other towers do not... Like, you can get stuck on the puzzles, but it's not like you can... You need any sense of timing to do them. Mm -hmm. Pacing, referring to time to take to perform something. Oh, I was just making a note for myself because I, oh, I kind of oh. wanted to keep track of the different uses for the term pacing. Oh no! Are we being sloppy with our definitions? Um, I don't know. I just wanted to keep track of it for myself. Well, I think it's an aspect of pacing. Yeah, I I agree too, because I mean pacing. Not necessarily a definition in, in it, and of itself. Yeah, I mean pacing is something that can refer to, you know, multiple levels. Like, Greg, I think I mentioned this once to you before, where. Uh, pacing in reference to a single level versus pacing to a world and then pacing across an entire game. Yeah. Like with Mario. That's the example I used. But um, yeah, that example where having the buttons spread out for no reason other than to make you spend more time moving to them just to push them would have slowed things down and basically created kind of stagnant space where you know what you have to do it's just taking longer than normal to do it. Yeah, if they were spaced out, like the third floor of Tower 2, then yeah, it would take you longer to go around and press them. But at the same time, you would be seeing new content, right? Because you would be exploring that floor? Yeah. That's one of the considerations you gotta take in. So, so I guess, like, the, the type of information that you're, or, or content that you're viewing is also a matter of pacing. Yeah. So I was pretty much assuming 
that it would break basing if they were spread out and there was nothing in between them. Okay. That's just okay. an example of when pacing would be negatively affecting. Yeah. And uh, which tower took you the least time to complete? Oh, I think it actually took me less time to complete Tower 5 than it did Tower 1. Yeah, Tower and, 5 is uh, pretty brisk. Yeah, so Tower 1, uh, I also figured out, looking back, I actually, it turns out I figured out that window trick surprisingly quick. Man. But that's because the souls, or, yeah, the soul, it distinctly says to use the power of observation and that fighting stuff isn't always going to get you through. So that's kind of the thing that, I don't know, I decided to turn on my Metroid eye and look at everything. <laughs> yeah, I think the one that actually took me the longest, even when they gave me the hint, was pushing the block with the red gem in it because for some reason I forgot you could push things in the game. So I was thinking that maybe I needed to hit it or break it or throw a pot at it. And then I'm like, oh, wait, just push it. And that's when I found the staircase in behind it. So that me that one took me a stupid amount of time to figure out. And then I just went through the dungeon as usual. So that was number two, right? So two and four probably took me the longest. I don't know which one took me longer. And even then, we're talking less than 20 minutes, so it's not that long. Oh, in terms of the Metroid Eye thing, I guess after Tower 1 zinged me, that's why I was so easily able to figure out Tower 4 that, like, that got me going. Hmm. I guess, Shouty, how did you feel about how combat versus puzzles were paced? I think um, what it was was that the enemies were kind of like a, a layer you had to peel off before solving the puzzles. So in that regard... I think they were they were just an even part of, of the rest of the game elements. So I think considering how long it takes to defeat enemies compared to how long it takes to solve puzzles, it, it they seem pretty equal. So I think the pacing was pretty was pretty even. So just as as an example, when you arrive on a new floor, you would kill all of the enemies, and then you would uh just take a look at the room's features to see if uh you could find any evidence of the proper way to proceed. Yeah. Or as and, I'm finding the enemies, I'm my I'm looking around cuz sometimes fighting enemies it, it it doesn't take that much. It, it sometimes it's it's more busy work than it is. <laughs> so I guess in in the second example then pacing becomes kind of spaghetti spaghettied in uh with each other where you get puzzle solving and combat going on differently from moment to moment mm -hmm. and you sort of swap between those two modes as you please and so you might be forced to look at the puzzle eventually if you just do all the enemies and then haven't figured anything out but you can also moderate the pacing by picking up your own observations as you go along yeah okay did anyone feel differently on that can you repeat the statement so at the most base level of requirement, assuming you kill everything in the dungeon, when you arrive on a new floor, the first step is to kill all the enemies, and the second step is to uh, observe the floor's features in an effort to find the way forward. And, uh, but you can adjust this pacing by mixing in, mixing in your observations with your combat, so that like 
you go down to the northwest corner and you kill a hubball, but you also notice that there's this inconspicuous statue with an odd-colored gem. So you might decide to interact with it before going on and killing all the rest of the enemies in the room. So that puzzle and combat pacing is kind of, you know, at the minimal performance, fixed. But if you're working ahead of time, then you can moderate it in your favor. Yeah, I agree with that. Okay. And I guess uh, in general, when you know how to read and play a game, that's going to allow you to do things in a more flexible order. I guess that's just naturally what happens with pacing. Wario fan, I was wondering, how is the pacing of the chapter as a whole? Well, I thought it worked. I mean, you start out in the uh, tiny little village, and then uh, suddenly you find out, oh my god, there's more to this world than just a village? And then uh, you go through the towers, and then uh, I, I guess I don't know how to use descriptive words here, but it was uh, fluid, I guess. The fact that you, like, Went to the tower, went to the village, went to the tower, went to the village, etc. Is that what you did? Well, I, I, I mean, after the first tower, I went back to the village, you know, to see. Oh my God, I, I froze the people, and then, uh, and then I kind of, kind of went back to the tower too, without realizing that. Uh, oh wait, I have a magic stone. I should probably get something out of that. Then I made it to the final floor of Flower Tooth. Like, ah, crap! I needed that magic, didn't I? <laughs> And then I, I think uh, you could have gone from two to three to four without needing to go back to the village, but it was certainly nice to see that progression. You didn't save between towers? Uh, I, was, I was confident I could just, you know, tackle these towers. And, uh, you know, Golem, I, I think, you know, resurrecting seven continents is like all in a day's work. You know, it's... You, know, I don't <laughs> you resurrect one, you resurrect them all. Yeah, um, essentially. Who wants lunch? Is that to say you tackled the entire chapter in one play session? Or Sans Tower 5? Pretty much. I mean, I... Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of knew this was, you know... I, I kind of remember this being a shorter chapter than the, the rest of the game, so I, I knew it wouldn't last long, so I just sort of... I went bam, bam, bam. Deciding the length of a play session uh, is also a matter of pacing. I don't know. That might be all I have to say on that. <laughs> These are hard questions. Are you saying I was a little too reckless in my play style? No, it just seems weird. Like, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, I probably would have... Uh, maybe I did the same thing when I played the game the first time years ago, but uh, I don't know. This time I was just, you know, ready to get all the t uh, continents uh, summoned up and get adventuring. As an, exper as, as an experienced player, you were able to keep a quicker pace? I'd say so, yeah. I mean, I, I think experience is maybe playing it up too much, but, you know, yeah, yeah. Adrian, did you have any thoughts on the pacing of the chapter as a whole? I wish I could watch back the beginning of my playthrough because um, I remember the first part. I think, yeah, I think it was actually quite a bit of time before I actually got to a, my first tower. But otherwise, um, no, I didn't really have any problem with the pacing. And the thing is, like, with the whole pacing thing is that it's kind of, or at least deciding whether to go to the tower or go back to town is kind of under your control. So I remember, I actually didn't even go to the tower. I went into this one area below Tower 4 that I wasn't supposed to be at. That was actually the first uh, action area I went to. 
and I think I like died in two hits. So, that's, <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, nothing stands out to me as being poorly paced or anything. I guess it's it was a bit new for me that the dungeons were so short. But then I sort of you know didn't mind because I I was kind of anticipating that there's going to be a lot more of these. So it's not like you know you only get eight dungeons in Zelda's, but the later ones have a tendency to take like 45 minutes to an hour to complete. These seems to be more bite-sized, and or at least these earlier ones anyways. But anyways, I had like five of them, so that I didn't mind that. So yeah, as far as pacing goes, I didn't have a problem. I guess that is worth noting that uh, Zelda dungeons tend to have a similar sense of pacing where uh, you have combat and puzzles sort of intertwined, uh, but the macro pacing... You know, the time you spend in a dungeon versus on the overworld moved at a, at a faster clip in Terranigma, where, you know, in a Zelda yeah. dungeon, you might, you might have tens, well, no, I mean, you might go through, like, ten to twenty rooms, and in a tower in Terranigma, you go through, like, five rooms, and you go yeah. save and buy items, and you don't do any exploring, or you do, yeah, like, very minimal. Yeah, it's pretty much uh, floor by floor. There's no horizontal rooms that you go in. In fact, there isn't yeah. even a dungeon map. So, oh, there is. There oh. is? It's <laughs> The menu system is terrible and awful and terrible, <laughs> but if you go to the center room in Pandora's box, at the bottom right, there's a map. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I was completely It's not wrong a good map, there. though. Alright, so yeah, yeah, the difference between overall, like how he it does that whole um like Final Fantasy VI thing where the overworld is sort of abstracted to where you're not going through an overworld where there are a bunch of enemies you fight. It's sort of miniaturized. And what looks like a traveling distance that would probably take the character an actual time, like three days or something, you're doing it in like three seconds. So it's actually more like Zelda too, the way they did that overworld, but not even the random enemy encounters. So yeah, that is a... A big difference but yeah compared to um the pacing between overworld and then towers yeah way different than zelda or even pandora's tower or zelda 2 i guess pandora's tower is kind of a weird midpoint where like terranigma you don't have any time exploring except you know that that tiny courtyard like you have yeah. the town in terranigma but uh, like Zelda, it's got dungeons with huge committal times. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's an interesting comparison. I guess uh, I would say it feels like if I had to compare Terranigma with Zelda, that Terranigma gives me a lot more uh, satisfaction in that like, I get to the really intense dungeon parts really quickly and I don't spend any time putzing around on an overworld. Um, yeah. Whereas Zelda tries to pace things more uh, more carefully, gives you time to walk around and find strange old men. <laughs> yeah, the arrangement of game elements and their core function is is a bit different, even though on the surface level, uh, they're pretty they're kind of similar in many ways.
I was, I was thinking about how uh, the battle stuff in the uh, these quintet games always goes. Like uh, Soul Blazer, you fought enemies because you had to. And then um, that would always upgrade the town, and sometimes you would get a better sword or better armor out of it. Illusion of Gaia, I think it was sometimes optional, but usually you would get a set stat upgraded if you fought all the enemies in the room. And then in Terranigma, you, you can fight enemies to your own uh, pace there. And then level up uh, and grind as if it were a common RPG. That's an interesting note about the first dungeon, where on the first floor you're required to kill all the enemies. On the second floor, you're required to kill a certain enemy just to get a soul that opens the door. And after that, you pretty much don't need to kill any non-boss enemies. Which is to say that the pacing in Terranigma is more flexible than it is in Illusion of Gaia or Soul Blazer. And actually, that Illusion of Gaia has a more flexible pacing than Soul Blazer because Soul Blazer would like, put a hard block if you didn't kill everything, whereas in Illusion of Gaia, at least, you know, you don't need to kill everything if you don't want the stat boosts. So it's a trilogy over which combat becomes more and more flexible and can be approached at whatever pace the player wishes. Right. I think that's a an important note about pacing. Kind of well, scalable difficulty. I don't know yeah. if more into combat or whatever, but yeah. I don't know, just it's a good point either way. And difficulty and pacing are kind of inter pretty heavily intertwined, yeah. right? Yeah, I would agree. I mean the pacing of high intensity versus low intensity challenges, I would figure difficulty absolutely is a part of it. I mean what else is there to talk about pacing if you're not talking about the difficulty? All right. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the first Terranigma cast. Um, we're going to go through the other chapters one by one. I think there are four in all. Maybe a fifth if I finish my fan game. <laughs> um, before we go, what character are you looking forward to in Smash 4, uh, Shouty? Oh, what am I looking forward to? Well, I... Uh, oh, no, I'm sorry. Which... Which character, if added to Smash 4, would uh, would make you forward look forward to it? Well, I'm already pretty look, looking pretty forward to it after seeing that. There's probably going to be a, a Rhythm Heaven fighter character, because there is a Rhythm Heaven reference in Smash Run in the form of an enemy. And as far as I know, only, only fighters whose series they represent have enemies in Smash Run. Oh. So yeah, I'm excited either way. Although, that does beg the question, what kind of enemies would they put in for Punch-Out? King Hippo. They're just going to have a bunch of Goombas and Kremlings running around, and then, oh, there's King Hippo. Yeah. <laughs> you can have multiple King Hippos. <laughs> a, a gaggle of King Hippos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wario fan, what character would I have to add to Smash 4 to get you interested? Well, I mean, the the Rhythm Heaven thing, but that's that's already been said, that seems likely, but, you know, just, you know, some, besides that, for for something that isn't heavily rumored or anything, I would be excited if they put in Kyle Hyde. Hmm. Oh, man. That'd be cool. I'd be excited if they just put in a, a Kyle Hyde filter for any character. That would be <laughs> <laughs> That would make it much easier to distinguish the characters on the 3DS version. <laughs> Man, I hated that game, but I love that character. <laughs> Adrian, what character would I have to add to Smash 4 to get you interested? Well, I'm already pretty interested, but if there's a character I thought would be cool for Smash, it would be Baby Bowser. 
our Bowser oh, Jr. Oh my god! <laughs> Wait a minute now. Especially, uh, like, have you seen his special moves in the sports games where he uses the magic paintbrush? Oh, you mean Bowser Jr.? Yeah, Bowser Jr. I don't know why I said Baby Bowser. Baby Bowser Jr. <laughs> they're the same, except one has a top knot, I think. Yeah, I know, they both are top knots. Uh, for a minute, you know, I thought maybe you meant the uh, the Koopa Kids from Mario Party. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, They'd God. have to be a single character. Like um, all eight of them in a clown car or something. No, no, no. Um, well, wait a minute. There's, oh. there's, there's Bowser Jr., there's the Koopalings, there's Baby Bowser, and then there's the, the ones from Mario Party. Yeah, those are the Koopa Kids. Those are the... Okay. Weren't they called... They were called Baby Bowsers at one point. Yeah, Yeah, they were. Like in Mario Party 1 and 2. What is the special move with the paintbrush? Oh, it depends on the sports games. Like, I know in the tennis one, he, like, splashes paint over over the ball and then splashes paint on the field that makes it, you know, hard to see where the actual ball is moving. Oh. So, and you can even throw a little Splatoon in there where he, I don't know, dies in and out of the paint just to be cool. Or have him turn into Shadow Mario. That's also cool. Well, now I'm excited for Smash 5 because I want one of those characters from, from Splatoon as a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, so nobody's that would be really cool. Nobody's going to say Ark. <sighs> no. Like I said, his final Smash would be resurrecting America. <laughs> Which is ironic. You know, consider well. I don't know if it's ironic, but it it's certainly something something to ponder. Given uh, the game, you know, was never really released in America. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't hear you at first. I thought you said said Mark. I thought maybe you meant classic game room Mark. He just shows up to to the battle in his space Camaro. Yeah. yeah can can his space station be one of the stages? <laughs> we don't even know what it looks like, except for the inside. Yeah, exactly. you just fight inside. I think it's kind of cramped with that car in the way. And then he'll make some Victric references for his final smash. <laughs> Turn everyone into wireframes. Oh. <laughs> uh, Adrian, any final words? Oh yeah. It was- it was fun to be here. I really regret my awkward intro. and That's my fault. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to doing more of these. Cool. Glad to hear. Wario fan, any final words? I I hope to see a return of the uh, dancing uh, uh, the dancing troupe there. The dancing hoo-ball troupe. Young and sweet, only 17. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, shouty, any, any last words? On this day, uh, the continent of Communica was resurrected. (laughs) Yeah, we should have played this at the beginning of the year instead of Demon's Crest. Hmm. So that we could do the, you know, on this day, the commune was resurrected. Yeah. It would have been a very good joke. Alright, thanks everybody. All music in this podcast was from Terra Enigma. I'll leave you with this final thought. When discussing pacing, it's important to have a good grasp of the variety of the game's challenges. The types of challenges you encounter, and the time they take, play a big role in pacing. So, to start a discussion on pacing, 
you'd look at some individual challenges and get a sense of how they were paced in and of themselves. If you have any comments or questions, please email us at vgcommune at gmail.com. <laughs>